We are in the book. I, I love the book of Acts. We are nearing the end. For those of you who have been journeying with us the whole year, uh, we are, and we've been covering big spans of story in, well, what, what, what is, you know, 40, 45 plus minutes length sermons, okay? So, uh, uh, so we, we are still continuing to cover a lot of ground in fairly short spans of time. And today, it will be a mixture of a little bit of storytelling, but I really want to push into specific parts of God's Word and let, allow it to strengthen us, allow it um, to lend us encouragement for the days ahead. Today, I want to show you that God's coming power. God's power is coming. God's power comes through intimate, personal encounters. God's power comes through the baptism and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And God's baptism eventually can lead to city-scale transformation. City-wide, nation-wide outpouring of the Spirit. So that transformation begins from the intimate place of your personal encounter with God. It grows into the place of ministry between one and another. And if you allow the Spirit to just keep moving, if you don't quench His work, and if you lend your heart and lend your spirit and lend your body to His work, he takes it and He multiplies it like bread and fish to feed people. He multiplies the work of the Holy Spirit in one person into the work in many people. We do have to believe, begin with your personal encounter. How many of you have heard the expression, revival begins with personal revival? Or some idea along those lines? Citywide revival begins with every single person in the church being revived in the Lord, being refired in the Lord. Amen? Amen? You can't expect great big uh, 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 national shifts to take place, you know, without individuals all coming into a re-catching a re-firing, right? A, 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 a renewal of your spirit. And so we can pray that Malaysia will find its, its good conscience, especially in difficult days like these when nations seem to be throwing their allegiance, you know, uh, um, uh, on behalf of its people, right? And uh, how many of you know that there are people out there throwing... Uh, your allegiance on behalf of causes you may not have allegiance for, right? It begins with every individual having a conviction, having a deep-rooted encounter and a transforming relationship with God. Amen? So we're going to start there. A bit of storytelling where we last left off. Paul was in one of the Mediterranean cities. Which one was it? No guesses. If I told y'all, like, I got like, you know, 50 ringgit, you know, for the right guess. I'm like, first person to come out here, grab the mic from me, you know. He was in Athens, right? Where we last left off, Paul was in Athens. Um, he was preaching uh, to the Epicureans and the Stoics. And today, we take off from him leaving Athens and going to Corinth. It's just a little south. Later, we'll see it on a map. At Corinth, he meets... Priscilla and Aquila, okay? This is a married couple. Uh, they 
are tent makers, okay? So basically, they are in the trade. They are ministering, but they also have a day job. They are entrepreneurs in some sense, you know? They are Jews who have been kicked out of Rome. So at around this time, uh, Jews were not allowed to be in Rome. So, so Priscilla and Aquila um, is a couple that have been expelled together with the other Jews. And here they are. They find themselves in... Corinth, right? And so as Paul, Silas and Timothy and Luke always do, they go to the synagogue to preach the gospel. And the gospel is not like some new found religion, uh, religious teaching. The gospel is the culmination of all Jewish hopes, all of Israel's greatest anticipation. They're waiting for their Messiah. They've been, they've been waiting for generations through their scriptures, searching it. Where is the Messiah? Who is the Messiah? When is the Messiah? And every time they go to the synagogues to preach, they begin by saying, you have been waiting for the Messiah. Messiah has come. He has come in the form of Jesus Christ. He was born in Nazareth. He was, he was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, right? He's, he had a powerful ministry. You've heard of him? Yes, we heard of him. He was crucified. On the third day, he was raised back to life. And his raising back to life authenticates, legitimizes that he is Israel's Messiah and King and Lord of the whole world. Now, who wants to believe? Here, who wants to believe? Amen? Yeah, I see. Yeah, right? Right? Amen? Every time they go to the synagogue, that would be the gist of their message. Now, who wants to believe? And so they go to the synagogue in Corinth. Now, Corinth is quite a city. How many of you have ever sat in a sermon series or a Bible study series on the books of First or Second Corinthians? Raise your hand. You, you've done study on First, Second Corinthians. Stretch your hand all the way up, all the way up, all the way up, all the way up, all the way up. Okay, we have a handful, right? For the rest of you, you got to know this about the city of Corinth. Its chief vice, its chief problems, its main issues in the city of Corinth, okay, was... I guess, fleshly immorality, okay? Uh, later uh, um, in the narrative, Paul writes several letters to the church in Corinth, pleading with them to, to consider their bodies as holy temples of the Holy Spirit, right? Because the church in Corinth, much like the rest of the city of Corinth, um, was steeped in the sex trade, right? Uh, vices was rife in the city of Corinth. You have to understand when you see the map that Corinth is like a melting pot. It is a port, right? And all the people traveling around the Mediterranean would by and large pass through the city of Corinth in its day. And so it becomes a melting pot of various cultures and where you have lots of people, transient crowd coming in to trade, leaving new people coming in to trade. There will always be certain industries that, uh, that arise in order to fulfill the temporary relief of people who are traveling like that. That's Corinth. Corinth was also a city that styled itself to be more Roman than Rome. Okay? It's like the new Rome, uh, the Rome that remembered what it was like to be Rome, even though the Rome, original Rome uh, has maybe moved on. And so Corinth has a, had a temple uh, dedicated to the most recent of Roman emperors. In other words, maybe they were just trying to you know, you know, shine the boots of Rome or, or trying to, you know, uh, 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 kowtow to them to show 
but, uh, but it, it is it's there. It, there isn't such a temple in Rome. There's a temple in Corinth for the most recent empress. As if to say, we consider these, temp- these emperors deified. And we worship the most recent empress as well. All of you are in Rome. You don't even do that, right? So that was Corinth. Uh, and so here we have the apostles entering into a new city again. New city, new culture, new battles, new strategy, new tactics. Everything changes whenever they go, but there are some things that never change. The gospel, as I shared with you, never changes. So when they go into the synagogue, they share the gospel, and when they, being the Jewish people in the synagogue, opposed and reviled Paul, he, he lost it, huh? I want you to see that Paul absolutely loses it in Corinth. He shook out his garments and he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, this is not the first time Paul has said this. Okay? If you have your Bibles, you can turn back to chapter 14 and Paul has said this once already. He said that, from now on, I'm done with you guys. You know, he's speaking to the Jews, right? After this, I'm going to the Gentiles. And he goes to the next city and the first place he goes into is the synagogue, right? Uh, and then through the synagogue, he reaches the Gentiles. You'll see that later after Corinth, he goes to Ephesus, right? And when he lands in Ephesus, the first place he goes to is the synagogue. So even though Paul is absolutely furious here, um, there are just certain practices that he maintains. But this is, to, to say your blood be on your own heads is a serious, is a serious thing. Huh? It's a very solemn, very heavy charge. He's saying that I'm innocent already. Whatever God sent me here to do, I have done it. If, if you're in trouble because you don't believe, it's your problem, right? And so, Paul, in his fit of, if you can call it, Righteous anger, some kind of some some kind of frustration, decides I'm not doing I'm not doing you guys anymore, right? And so he moves to live uh, uh, with a brother called Titius Justus, and in a place that's next to the synagogue. Okay, so he's kind of like uh, <laughs> he's kind of like couch surfing uh, in in a house next to the synagogue, and then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue also comes to faith, which is very interesting. I hope you can see this. The synagogue community is opposing Paul. But the ruler of the synagogue, the number one guy in the synagogue, is sympathetic. And he also eventually comes into faith. So it's not obvious that when the synagogue ruling crowd oppose um, Paul, that it means every single one of them do. In, in this case, at least, even the head of the synagogue was outnumbered and outvoiced by the rest of the Jewish community in Corinth. Now, many other Corinthians, through him staying here and having some legitimacy here, minister, and many Corinthians believe and are baptized. Now, I want you to see the next part because in this first point, I want to push into this next part. On one of the nights, Paul has a vision. Now remember, he was angry and he wanted to quit the Jews in Corinth. Paul has a vision and he says to him, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Do not be afraid. Don't stop speaking. 
keep speaking because Paul wanted to stop speaking, ma, right? And the Lord is saying to him, don't be afraid, don't stop speaking. Keep doing what you're doing. No one can come and truly harm you because I have many in this city who are my people. This is how I fight my battles. Keep on speaking. Don't be afraid. Now, I want to break this down to four different parts, you know, even though the whole thing is kind of one. And the basis of this whole thing being united in one idea is that God is good. God is for Paul and the apostles. God is with them. God will not leave them. Amen? Do you believe that God is for you? When you stand by Him, He stands with you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God will not forsake you? His heart is not to abandon you? Amen? God really wants to walk with you and He longs for you to walk with Him and reciprocate. Okay? And this was true then as well. First thing He says is, do not be afraid. And I believe today, the Lord wants us to lean into this whole place of our fears. And we can fear a whole variety of things. But quite often we fear what is unknown. We fear outcomes that we cannot control. We fear the threat of certain people walking into the room because we consider that their threat outweighs our ability to control that threat. We fear, and as a result of this, we fear financial uncertainties. Because of this, we fear certain people. We fear people in authority. Sometimes we fear things that we have failed to do. You know, maybe you failed to get certain things done correctly in your workplace. Maybe you fear the outcomes of it. Maybe you fear the things that you have done, fearing that it will be found out. Sometimes we fear for our loved ones that harm may come to them. Sometimes we fear uh, for, for what the future may hold. Now, the fears that we go through remind us that we are human. But the God whom we worship comes into the place of our fears and He tells us, do not be afraid. Now, it's very easy to say, do not be afraid. Anybody can tell you, don't be scared lah, it's okay one. How many of you have friends that you're, you're going through a very difficult time, you're full of worries and concerns, you're full of anguish, and then, you know, a friend well-meaning, okay, but maybe it comes off just a little trite and a little shallow, comes to you and says like, ah yeah, it's okay one lah. Yeah, a, a little bit like that, right? Okay, now, it's not that they don't mean well. Let me break this down for you. There are, if you can say, Four different kinds of people who can, whom you can interact with in a moment like this. You can have the worst kind is people who don't care about you and at the same time, they have no power to do anything about your problems, right? Okay, so that's like, forget about this because people, they, they don't care about you and they have no power to do anything for you. Now, the friend who says, yeah, you'll be okay one, you'll be okay one, they are the people who care but they may not have the power to do anything about it. They can't, they can't, you know, uh, 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 make a deal at your workplace happen. They can't stop the foreclosure of something you possess. They can't uh, um, turn cancer cells backwards, you know, uh, to become healthy cells again. By themselves, they can't do a whole lot of things. Um, so the best we can muster up for each other often is, it's going to be okay, I'm here with you, right? And that can be very comforting and yet often that can be not enough. Okay, now you have the 
don't care, can't help. Okay? You have the do care but can't help. And then you have the don't care but can help. And that's the worst. Maybe that's like the worst because you can go and implore with them like, like you know, Tuan, boleh lah Tuan. Sikit saja lah Tuan. Ampun lah Tuan. And then, and then Tuan goes, Tabule. <laughs> but he's Tabule. It's not Tabule because if you want, you can Bole on, right? Tamau. Yeah. Right? Now, I jest with you, but it's not just the tuan tuans in that tone, right? You know tons of people out there who have the ability to reverse certain outcomes, who can stop certain um, inevitabilities because they are in positions of power. They may just decide that you are not worth helping out or that every time they help, it's a withdrawal for them. They need to pull on favours and they're just I'm not going to simply, simply put my, I'm going to save it for my lung, my people, kaki lung, that kind of thing, right? So, it may well be that you encounter can't help, don't care, can help, do care, can, can, help, can help, don't care, <laughs> can't help, do care, but the best sort to encounter is the one who cares for you and can do something about it. And that's our God. That's why our God says, don't be afraid. Keep on going. Keep on talking. Don't, st- don't stay silent. Why? Because I can do something about it. I will do something about it. And this is the heart of encountering our area of fears, you see. We are afraid because we are unsure whether anybody cares. And we are afraid because we are unsure if there is any power that can help us. And I want you to know that in Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, our Lord, in the resurrection power of our risen King, you have a power who loves you and is powerful enough to do something about it. In fact, He is the highest power. He is the, he is the, he is the apex if you can call it, I don't know if you can use the word predator. He is the apex, you know, um, of it. And what's the, what's the bridge in the second song, Suzanne? Um, Jesus, your name is the highest. Your name is the greatest. Your name, what? Stands above them all. Above what? Above all thrones and dominions, all power and positions, your name stands above them all. Don't be afraid. His name stands above them all. Go on speaking. Do not be silent. For some of you, God's call for you right now is not about speaking. It's about standing your ground. For some of you, you've got to hear this. Keep standing your ground. Don't waver. Don't lalang in this moment. Don't crumble in this moment. For some of you, the Lord's word over you is, don't give up praying. Just keep on interceding for this situation, for this person. Don't lose heart even though you don't see outcomes. God deals with outcomes. We deal with inputs. We put in the prayer. We put in the standing our ground. We put in the not being silent but keep on speaking and allow God the sovereignty of dealing with outcomes. And He knows what to do with the outcomes. 
there are some outcomes He chooses not to fulfill now, but to fulfill later. And it's His prerogative. Our role is to keep putting wood in the fire. Our, wood, our role is to just keep fueling the flames of the Holy Spirit and allow the Spirit to keep moving. And as He moves, He keeps showing us new things. I love the book of Acts in this time, throughout this thing, because you see this group of people who are in love with God. They are travelling with Him. When, he, when the Spirit says, get up, go. They get up and go. And sometimes the Spirit says, stop, don't enter. Go the other way or keep going, right? Go on speaking. Do not be silent, right? Don't go into Asia Minor. Just keep going. And then they just keep going, right? Don't go into Bithynia. Just keep going. They just keep going, right? Do not stay silent. Don't stay put and plateau. But just keep following the Lord. And He does this on and on. You know what this reminds me of? The church in the book of Acts. It reminds me of Israel in the desert after coming out of Egypt, but a redeemed version. But a renewing version. But a version of Israel wandering in the desert with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And every time the Spirit says, get up, go. They get up and go. Every time the Spirit says, stop, wait here, right? And, and rest. They stop, wait here and rest. They say, you got to do something here. You got to do something here. And then along the way, God keeps sending miracle after miracle into their path. This church that you see in the book of Acts is a New Testament equivalent of what you see in the book of Exodus of Israel traveling around. But you see God working a sense of obedience, a certain softness that wasn't there in Exodus. You see that softness there, a certain uh, uh, yieldedness to the Spirit of God that is there now that wasn't there. And I believe today the church of Jesus Christ here in front of us and right sitting right next to you can be that kind of church. Let's not be like Israel in Exodus who are fighting God and stubborn and constantly turning back and saying like, why didn't we stay in Antioch? It was good there. At least we knew when our meals were coming, right? These guys are like, let's go, let's go. God will feed. If God don't feed, it's God's intention not to feed. But we still go, amen? Go on, for I am with you. No one will come and attack you to harm you. Now, let's, uh, you know, I'm the kind of pastor over you that I make it my role to ask the difficult questions with you so that you don't go home and then encounter difficult things and ask yourself difficult questions when you're all alone. And then you have no one to wrestle, them, uh, wrestle through them with. Okay? So I'm going to raise a difficult question here with you. Okay? And I believe if I don't raise them, it will be raised in your private Bible reading anyway. If you read your Bible, huh? if you don't read your Bible, I can't help you. Your difficult questions will hit you and you won't even know they are difficult Bible questions. You'll just feel that they are difficult questions. Here's a difficult question. Is this 100% true? Now, I'm just going to swing from this to something a bit more obvious now, okay? Because yes, Paul has been attacked before. He's been attacked more times than you can care to count, okay? He was attacked in Thessalonica. He was attacked in Philippi. He was attacked uh, almost every city short of Berea. He was, even in Berea, the Thessalonians come and whacked him, right? Okay, so he's been attacked. God says, I'm with you. No one will attack you to harm you. In other words, God is saying to Paul, whatever attacks you suffer, it will not truly harm you. It will not harm you to the extent 
I mean like, oh, gonna grace. Oh, yo, yo, I lost a fingernail. God, your, full, your, your promise, you know, in, in Acts 18, verse X, whatever, you know, was, it failed. Is that how it works? No, I'm jesting with you, but in reality, you are going to have Christians, whether it's people you love, people you know, you're going to hear a story, who get cancer and you pray for their healing and some of them heal. And you go, yes, see, it works. And then some of them don't. And you're going to like, what's this? What's this? Are you over-promising? Now, I went through this. I wrestled with this. Psalm 91. I wrestled with Psalm 91 so bad. I can tell you, my friends, I know for, maybe for some of you, Psalm 91 has always been a source of strength and comfort and it continues to be a source of strength and comfort to me until today. But can I tell you, I wrestled with the realities of Psalm 91 so bad because I asked myself, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Hey, hello. I've seen pestilence come near me, like. I've lost loved ones to tragic death. I've seen all kinds of calamities, relational or not, happen to those close to me and I've suffered some of them myself. So what's this? You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because you have made Yahweh your dwelling place. Have I not made Yahweh my dwelling place, God? I asked many times. Not enough, man. Right? I thought I did. And it's true. Was it all fake? No, it wasn't. It was genuine. I have made the Lord my dwelling place. My Most High is my refuge. But plague still come near my tent. So I'm going to ask you, before you have to ask yourself, is Psalm 91 and other parts of the Bible like it, is it over-promising us things? If it is, wouldn't it be a quite a bit of a problem if Psalm 91 was over-promising things that it cannot or does not plan to deliver on? If it doesn't, then why is the reality doesn't seem to match? Like, like sometimes I promise this, I get something else, you know, like you buy from Shopee, you are very excited, you open the package, it's like, <laughs> refund, refund, right? Return this thing. It's not right. I don't know, some days you look at Psalm 91, you compare it to your life, you're like, God, I want a refund, man. This is, this is not what it looks like on the box. Now, I want to say this, right? This is why... Bible reading skills is important. Because you can't just pick up your Bible, turn to like, brap. I know once in a blue moon, you know, um, I won't say you get lucky. Uh, once in a blue moon, God decides to speak to you that way. But you really should not take it for granted that God will choose that way to speak to you all the time, right? You should grow in your proficiency in reading your Bible. And so you can't just like, you know, bang. It's like, oh, um, and then Judas found a rope and hanged himself. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Let's try again. Jesus says, go and do likewise. <laughs> you can't. You can't read your Bible that way, right? And so, I want you to know that when you read Psalms, when you read the poetic uh, um, literature, like Psalm 91, like Psalm 91, okay? You cannot read them as straight literal promises. 
they were not written to be straight literal promises that work empirically 100% of the time such that if it works only 99.9% of the time, the fellas get into the lab coats, they go back into the psalm and then they have to like redraw the parameters. It doesn't work that way. The psalms were not written that way. The psalms or Psalm 91 was written to ultimately show you that God loves you and God's powerful enough to care. That's the point of Psalm 91. And it uses language that taps onto all the nascent fears of people at that time. War is dealt with here. Pestilence, dealt with here. Arrows of the enemy, dealt with here, right? Uh, 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 sickness and plagues, dealt with here. And Psalm 91 and many other parts of Scripture like this, they are there to assure you that God's character is good. That's the whole point. That's the main point. The core of Psalm 91 is God is good. He is moral. He is just. He is righteous. He is holy. Meaning if you have to find yourself on this continuum of evil to good, God is absolutely good. And then not just that, God is interested. He cares for you deeply, even as you care for Him deeply. He cares for you deeply. Even before you cared for Him, He already cared for you. For God so loved the world, He took initiative to send His Son. Amen? And so if you find yourself on a continuum of totally don't care, to care so much, God is 100% at care so much. And not just that, God is powerful enough to do something about it. In fact, He is almighty. That's why we sing, right? Jesus, Your name is the highest. Your name is the greatest. Your name stands above them all. So if you find yourself on a continuum of totally powerless to totally powerful, God is totally powerful. He is righteous, moral, good, loving, caring, interested, and totally powerful in order to help you. And that is the core of a psalm like Psalm 91. And so I don't want you to go and read all the individual lines and treat it like a modern-day contract. And then you say like clause X, Y, Z failed to be met, you know, I want my money back. That's not how scriptures, especially the psalms, are meant to work. They are there to, com to communicate the character of God and His relationship with you, His vestedness. You understand? He's invested into you. He's like an investor who has sunk in something very precious of His own into your life. And having invested into you, now He is interested in your survival and eventual thriving and success. That's our God. That's Psalm 91. That's why He says, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking for no one can come and truly harm you. I am with you. And then He ends by saying this, for I have many in this city who are my people. Now, at this juncture, Paul does not feel like there's many people in this city who are God's people. At this juncture, the synagogue rulers have even overpowered Crispus, okay, and are persecuting him. Who else is there, right? Titus Justus, Crispus. Two guys who are named, who are his allies. 
Okay lah, stay there lor. That becomes his new outpost and then he can start evangelize. God says, I have many in this city who are my people. And then you saw more people start to come and believe, more people come and be baptized. And the next passage of the text, 18, chapter 18, verses 11 onwards, Paul ends up spending one and a half years. Paul spends one and a half years in Corinth. That's very long, huh? He's on a missionary journey, right? He's going from like city to city to a... He ends up spending close... Well, so much time, okay? And at the end of that one and a half years, lagi, oh, right? The Jews attack Paul and bring him to a tribunal, a Roman tribunal, in order to kena him, you know? And then all the typical things, right? The false witnesses and all this kind of like false trumped-up charges and all that. And then the Roman proconsul, his name is Gallio, okay? Gallio hears the case. He strikes it out, Okay? And eventually after this, Paul leaves Corinth. Now, you got to know something about the Jewish opposition on Paul during this time. So a little bit of teaching. Okay, I don't want to do too much. I don't want to share the word with you and encourage you today. But a little bit of teaching. The arrangement between the Jewish people and Rome, Rome is the empire. The Jewish people is a minority in Roman territory. The arrangement ever since the time of around Julius Caesar was that the Jewish people were allowed by Rome to worship their own God. It's a special privilege. Okay? Rome allowed Jews to worship their own God. Just keep the peace. No riots. No, no, no fuss. Don't, you know, try to coexist. Play nice with my proconsuls. And we let you worship your own gods. Right? It's a special privilege. Now, when Christianity... And the faith is called the way, right? When it starts to rise, starts to spread, and some of the believers of the Christian faith are no longer practicing what the Jews do. They no longer circumcise, right? They no longer eat kosher. So, are they Jews or not? Some are ethnic Jews, so maybe they can, you know, some are not, right? So, question is, do they get to worship their own God or not? Do they fall under the ambit of the special privileges that Jews have? Or the moment you don't have that privilege, you have to worship the Roman gods. Right? So these Christians are making social life unstable for the politically unstable for the Jewish uh, population. Because they're like, okay, you're Christians, come, like, are they considered one of us? If they are considered one of us, then they can be part of, you know, they can have our privileges as well. And they, like us, don't have to worship the Roman gods. But if they are not really one of us, and they are seen increasingly to be not like one of us, and then they are causing division among these things, and then and as a result of the division, there is some social unrest, there are some of these problems and all that, they are scared that Rome's going to come down and say, you know what? None of you get this special privilege now. Everybody just worship the Roman gods. So you, now you understand why the Jews were not just fighting with Paul for religious reasons. They were fighting with Paul for their own political stability so that they can continue their Jewish way of life under the special privileges given by Rome. You understand the history behind this? And therefore, when Rome, the proconsul strikes out their case, you know what he says? And you hear other Roman leaders say this of Paul and his problems, right? He says that this is a private matter between all of you in your religion. This is your problem. You go settle it yourself. I do not consider this worthy of this court. 
In other words, the proconsul is saying, you're actually the same big bunch, okay, with all your own little, you know, factions, go deal with it separately. But don't, don't disturb me over this, right? And therefore, the idea here is that the Christians do get to enjoy the same privileges that the rest of the Jews have. They don't have to worship the Roman gods, right? That's just a little bit of background. Now, after this, Paul makes a quick stop in Ephesus. So he sails to Ephesus, okay? Very quick stop. If you read it, it's like, huh? So fast, I thought he spent a lot of time in Ephesus. He drops by, says hello, meets a few people, bang, he leaves, right? Um, end of the missionary journey, okay? So when they started here, they went all the way here. They wanted to enter, tak boleh. So they go up here. They want to enter, tak boleh. They end up here, da-da-da-da-da. Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, quick stop from Ephesus back to Caesarea, Jerusalem, and then the checkered flag back in Antioch in Syria. The second missionary journey ends. So Paul, goyang kaki in, he rests lah, okay? It, it, it's, his, uh, it, it's his rest time, right? Uh, he goes to Antioch, he rests, and then, but before long, he itchy again. <laughs> and he gets up, and he starts his third missionary journey, okay? Now, it appears as though he started this alone. And then as he travels, more people gather around him and he starts meeting all the other fellas um, whom he picked up along the way as well. Now, you notice, this time he goes all the way until the Phrygia-Galatia area and he finally gets to go to Ephesus from the east into the west. You all will know, right? Remember, Holy Spirit said, don't go into Asia Minor, right? Now he can go in, huh? And this alone, this map alone is a reminder that God sometimes says no, so that later He can say yes. You hear me or not? Because in your own life, it won't be a map, but it will be a no. You've received a no in your life before. You've had God block your path before, close doors before. I want you to know that whenever those doors have closed, it's because God has a different plan for you. And in those days, there are no men that they went north and they touched a lot of other cities. Now, if they went in here, there's no saying that they would have touched all of this. But they did. Why? Because God said no. They moved up. They took all of these parts, okay, for the gospel. And now they eventually circled back. Now, God says, now you can go to Ephesus. You can do a proper, long-term trip from the east, cutting through Asia Minor into Ephesus. Now, God did not stop him. And so, they enter Ephesus. Now, Ephesus. Now, if Corinth was a hotbed of vice, Ephesus is, is a hotbed of magic and the dark arts, okay? And temple worship, that is the temple of Artemis, okay? Artemis is the local deity in the city of Ephesus. And from this, I want to show you God's coming power through the ministry and baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? In Ephesus, Paul meets Apollos, okay? Apollos um, is not a Roman god, okay? Um, Apollos, Apollo is the god of what? Uh? Sun, yeah, yeah, is the, is the Roman god of the sun or something? Okay, I'm not sure. I'm not good on my Greek gods and Roman gods. But he meets a, a, a Christian, a new Christian called Apollos, okay? 
very Greek name, Apollos. Okay? And Apollos okay, is fervently sharing the Word of God. He's doing what Paul does to a large extent, sharing with them about the Messiah, about Jesus. Okay? But he only knows up until the baptism of John. When he says the baptism of John, it means that he knows about calling people to repent calling people into repentance, come under the power of Jesus Christ, right? But he does not know that there is such a thing as the Holy Spirit. He does not know that there was a Pentecost in Jerusalem where the Holy Spirit fell on people and everyone broke in tongues. He does not know that ever since then, um, there has been a, 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 a Gentile Pentecost for example, when Cornelius had his family gathered, you know, and then the Holy Spirit fell and they all broke in tongues as well. He's unaware of this entire part of their new faith, which is the movement of the Holy Spirit. Totally unaware. So Apollos is preaching, he's teaching, he's leading people to Jesus Christ, and he does not have this whole part, right? It's, it's almost like a modern-day cessationist church, right? Um, he's doing all that, okay? Maybe not, I'm not sure, okay? And then... Priscilla and Aquila are sent to Apollos, okay? And, and they start to show him and update him on what has happened. Or the scripture says to teach him in the more accurate way, right? And they, so they coach him until he has now presumably encountered his own encounter with the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, he, he now understands the power and the working of the Holy Spirit. He's been filled in with that part of their ministry, you know, which is very current. And then he goes to Corinth. So it's quite interesting. Um, Paul, they all go from Corinth to Ephesus, okay? And then they meet Apollos and Apollos goes from Ephesus over to Corinth, right? In your Bible, it will say Achaia. Achaia is the region for it, okay? Now, a bit more storytelling before I jump in. Paul meets other Christians, new converts, right? Who also know about the baptism of John, just like Apollos. Don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. So Paul baptizes them into Jesus. Holy Spirit falls on them. They start speaking in tongues and, st and, and you start to see that the ministry of convicting evangelism starts to take place. So three months pass, some of the Jews begin speaking evil of the Christians there. Paul withdraws again from synagogue ministry and he moves into um, this place called Hall of Tyrannus, right? And he starts using that as a new base again. And for two years, Asia Minor is evangelized too. Now, it's interesting because some of us come from backgrounds where we do not know or do not practice what is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the same way as, as other churches. So, you may come from a church or a church background that is very charismatic, right? Uh, and when I say charismatic, I mean that baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that is taught regularly. Power and ministry of the Holy Spirit is something that happens. In church, everybody prays in tongues. In church, everybody comes to the front. You lay hands. People tumbang, bomb, 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 you know? And those things are normal. They don't even face you. It's like, yeah, that's normal. That's church, you know? Um, signs, wonders. Every year end, people come up, share testimonies about cancer, heal, this thing gone, this breakthrough, that thing, it was all the Holy Spirit. For some of you, your church background, that's normal, par for the cost, right? And then for some of you, it might be very strange. And you may have received teaching before to be careful about some of these things, or at least to be careful about some of the excesses of some of the traditions that are very charismatic. And I want us to find a place where we can 
enter this whole dialogue, this whole understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit. Because, now I don't have time to go into a whole long teaching, right? We'll save that for next year. We'll do something on the baptism of the Holy Spirit next year. But, I want us to know that we do, at least in this church, we do believe that the Holy Spirit is real. Not just real, but active and present. We do believe that He, um, he fills in power people, places, congregations. He brings a, an, an eruption of His supernatural power sometimes. You know, and we do believe that if we long for it and if we don't act to quench it, that God can and will come because He loves you and He's powerful enough to want to do it, right? And yet at the same time, we can stand back and we can see some of the more outlandish things in, I don't know, charismatic church in, you know, Neptune and Venus, you know, far-flung places, lah, never mind where, lah, okay? And we can say that, I'm not so sure about some of these practices, Okay? And I'm not going to start naming practices. Okay? For each of you, you may have your own thresholds. But I will say this. I will say this. Right? I'm prepared to engage. And in this church, we should be prepared to engage and hear. We should be prepared to engage and hear your desire to see Holy Spirit moving in power. Absolutely. We should also be prepared to engage and hear your concerns about practices in some... I don't know if I can call, use the phrase hyper-charismatic churches where sometimes some of the practices becomes borderline strange and maybe even unbiblical, you know, and just, just very spooky, right? We should be prepared to engage on those things and to hear each other out because what we want to reach is to find a place where we can have a biblical expression of our faith, a biblical expression of ministry with the baseline being that the Holy Spirit is real, powerful, active and present. And then how He goes about doing it. What the Holy Spirit does in our midst and, and what are the signs or the indicators that baptism of the Holy Spirit is present, that the power of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is present. We can tackle this next year in much more in-depth, okay? But today, I want us to all just land on the same place, okay? The baseline is the trust that God works through His Spirit. So yes, yes, emphatically, the baptism and ministry of the Holy Spirit will sometimes come through the expression of new tongues, right? It will come through the expression of prophecy, and you see this throughout the Old Testament. They break in tongues, okay, and they start prophesying, right? You see in the New Testament too. You will see signs, wonders, deliverance, healing. You see supernatural breakthrough. You will see power encounters. You will see battle against demonic forces. I've experienced all these things in ministry. I know without a shadow of doubt that the dark demonic powers are absolutely real. And if you don't have the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't stand in that room and do anything. And it's better you stand outside that room and let people who, 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 who have done this before or who believe and trust and understand the way this works to work and who trust in God. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they are like super hyper charismatic and people who are grounded in God to do that work. Because I know, I've seen it before, I've seen people's voices turn while ministering to them. 
and I've, we've tried to hold down a man who had so much strength, it took like five, six guys just to prevent him from just thrashing uh, um, all of us away, right? I've seen this, it's undeniable. So yes, the ministry of the Holy Spirit will look like this, but also yes, and we cannot neglect this, the ministry and baptism of the Holy Spirit also results in the spiritual maturing of the people. Not very sexy, not very stylish, not very flashy, but slow agricultural growing of the crop. The maturing of Christians, the growth of Christians, Christ's formation in Christians, right? Manifesting in the fruit of the Spirit, love, and joy, growing in Christians, peace and patience. Church, do you have patience? It's a sign that Spirit is working in you when you're growing in patience, right? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Now, these things are starting to mature and grow in you. It's a sign that the fruit of the Spirit tells you that the Spirit is there, right? Your gentleness, your self-control, your faithfulness. These are all indicators that Holy Spirit is there. He's growing. And so sometimes you see that His work is big, sudden, supernatural. And then sometimes... It, now, there's nothing less supernatural about this. Huh? To, have our, to have our hearts turned around, to almost be like given a new heart, this is my prayer recently, right? God, don't just cleanse my heart. Give me a new heart altogether. Don't just like transform me. Just give me a totally new heart because I, I think about my heart of stone and I say, God, I don't know why you want to soften a heart of stone. Just rip this old one out from me and give me a heart of flesh, God. Give me a heart that loves you always. Give me a heart that yields to you when you squeeze, it gives. Right? I want that kind of heart. Give me that kind of heart. And if there's any part of my heart that is stony and hardened, just cut it out. Give me a new heart. Give me a new heart. And I long for every one of us to, for the Holy Spirit to come and renew us in that way, right? And so, some of us come from traditions that are very strong in this and we cannot neglect this as a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Some of us come from traditions that are much stronger in this and we cannot be too cynical about this as a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. I want us to be the kind of church that, has, that understands how to find tension and balance in the way we know and understand the work of the Spirit. Amen? Amen? Any of this too challenging? Any of this offends your understanding of how God is working? It shouldn't because I'm affirming both. Amen? I'm affirming both. God's coming power begins with an intimate encounter. It grows into the ministry and how He uses us with each other in the church through the baptism and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then, eventually, it breaks out into city-scale transformation. Now, I don't want to jump the gun and say, yeah, Sungai Bula for Jesus, and like hype everyone up, you know, if we have not been faithfully doing this 
faithfully doing this. But I want to show you what happens in Ephesus. Okay? You cannot not know, you cannot touch Ephesus without touching some of these stories. It's crazy things are about to happen in Ephesus from just ministering to a few people, you know, from the house here, and then like a few people come to believe. Next thing you know, there is widespread faith and growth in Christ. More and more people are giving their lives to Christ. Now, just ignore the dramatic picture for a moment. I'm just going to read this for you. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them, you know. And so, I'm just going to put, get you to put a pause on that, okay? Um, and not worry too much if today your handkerchief is not healing anybody, okay? Okay. God continues to work And if He chose to work that way in Ephesus Just know that He did not work this way in Thessalonica He did not work this way in Berea He did not work this way in Athens He worked differently in different cities But it, neither does it mean that it can't work again today Because He's clearly shown His hand This can be done If I wanted to, I could And I chose in that time in Ephesus to show this hand Right? And he may well continue to do so. So I don't want you to feel pressured like, oh my gosh, my laundry didn't heal anyone. Don't feel the pressure, okay? You just keep doing what you know best, which is to love God, love your neighbour, right? But neither do I want you to, when you hear that someone, someone carried a Bible, the Bible went from this point to that point, everyone who held it, wow, God's miraculous power, then he's like, yeah, sounds like magic, you know? No. It may well be a work of God and I don't want you to be so cynical and be like, oh, cannot be, right? Neither do I want you to take that and turn it into like, this is the only way God works. Yeah, it's not and it's not. Okay, are we good? Are we good? So there is a group of itinerant exorcists. The Exorcist, new, new movie Exorcist is out in the cinema recently. I, I, I have, any of you planning to watch these things? Yeah, yeah, one, one or two of you, okay. Um, I, I, I mean, please tell me how it goes if you do, okay. But I've chosen not to watch these things because they just stick in my mind, like, like the Linda Blair 1970 something version. Dude, that thing just gets into your head and you can't get it out of your head. I've chosen not to watch them, okay. Uh, um, I minister in this area sometimes and so I chose not to watch it, you know. But there were itinerant exorcists. Essentially, they were freelance, right, demon casting out thirst, right, okay. Uh, they were freelance shamans, essentially, okay. Um, and they, I mean, this is their trade. Now, imagine this is your trade and then Around you, there are all these people, okay? Demons are leaving, hanky also, like boom, wow, wow, superpower. Like, you're like, you have two options. You either fight back for your own, you know, commercial viability, okay? You have, you have to fight back for your own commercial viability, right? Or merger acquisition, right? I will go and use your branding and start trading under your name. Use your technology and trade under your platforms, right? I will do that. You can, third is go out business, right? Now, you might think, I thought Jewish people very Torah, Torah one. Why got all this like 
itinerant exorcists, you know. In Ephesus, it was different, <laughs> okay? So you may think that, oh, um, the Jews in Jerusalem were so like, by the book, you know. Um, you think of the Sanhedrin, you think of the Pharisees, you think of the Sadducees. They're like, going through every line of the law, must echoed, must echoed. And here you have all these like, you know, hyper-charismatic Jewish exorcist types, you know. It's like, very strange. In Ephesus, it was different. And so, these guys, their conclusion is, we can't fight them, so merger acquisition. I'm going to use your infra, I'm going to use your technology, and I'm going to use your branding. And I'm going to start exorcising people under the name of this Jesus. But they have no relationship with Jesus. So, these guys, they are called the seven sons of Sceva, Co, right? Company, right? The seven sons of Skiva, okay? They are, they, they got a client, right? Demonic man. And they come to him and say, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, get out. And this demon knows that it's not their infra. This demon knows it's not their technology and it's not their brand. They don't own the, this name. They don't own this product. They don't own this... Sorry, la, you, I, I, I use commercial uh, metaphor, okay? They don't own the rights to this thing. It's not theirs. No proprietary thing going on there. It, they, they are just churiing, tumpanging. They are tumpanging, right? Um, on piggybagging on Paul's ministry and passing it off as their own. In the name of the, the, the Jesus whom Paul worships, get out. They don't go out. Quite the contrary. Demon says, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize. Who are you? Lucy Tiang. Awani Siapa. And demonized man breaks out into superhuman strength, pummels all seven sons of Skiva, trashes them, scratches them, rips off their clothes. They run off bleeding, naked, torn up, trashed, completely, completely destroyed, right? Annihilated, right? What, what words do you use in gaming these days for kids? Yeah, when you're like totally, you know... Um, GG, yeah, you would say that. GG, what? GG, <laughs> right? Um, and so, the thing about this is not just to show, you know, it shows a few things. It clearly shows a few things. Firstly, it shows that you gotta have a personal relationship with God if you wanna invoke His name. You don't simply saja saja alang alang invoke the name of Jesus Christ and expect that you can just tumpang on someone else's faith and that name is magical in its own way. The name doesn't have power. We sing. Your name is the highest, greatest, stands above the mama, right? Can't I just simply go around and use that name, right? It's a, isn't it the name that's above all thrones, thrones and dominions, all powers and, and, and what, right? Can ma? Cannot. Why? Because the person invoking the name has no relationship with this name. Has no trust in this name. Enough trust in the Paul, the, Paul as an as a intermediary only, right? Has no, has no journey with this name. So last week, I shared with you about knowing God, right? To know God, 
through eagerly searching your scriptures, know God through reaching out and finding Him. Right? And that can be said in another way. You know God through the Word and you know God through your walk. And if you don't have the Word and you don't have the walk, you can't just invoke His name and expect supernatural to come. And maybe in my own past, when supernatural has not come, it's because I did not have the Word and the walk. And that's why it didn't come. And I'm praying for people and my fellow pastors are praying for other people. It's like, boom, boom, boom. And I'm there going like, pressure. I'm praying for the people. God, please heal this person. Nothing happens out. Maybe there was nothing wrong with that. Right? But there have also been seasons when I've ministered to people, but actually I'm ministering out of an empty place. And I didn't really have the word in me. And I didn't really have the walk with me. And I need to be careful. Because I can do a show, and you all might even think that it looks quite good. You know, at least half of you might, you know. But if I don't have the word and I don't have the walk, there's no real power. There's no real power. And guess what? It's not just my problem. It's also every single one of your problems. Because if you don't have the word, and if you don't have the walk, there will also be no power. And you will face challenges in your walk, in your life, where you are going to need the power of God to come because there's no one else who can help you. Everyone who can help you either won't or everyone who wants to help you can't. But God can and will. But you've got to have your word and you've got to have your walk in you and by you. And that's the crux of what happens here. And that's a lesson for all of us. Now the next thing, and I'm going to close with this, this sets off something else because when the sons of Sceva run scattering, bleeding, naked, you know, next thing you know, the whole city is convicted that some new king, a new power is in this place. And so many of those who are now believers came and they started to confess. And I love this, huh? they started to divulge. Now, confessing is one thing. A sin, yeah? To divulge and to say, I have all these skeletons and I'm going to pull them out of my closet now. And all the skeletons came out. And you know what their skeletons were? Magic practice. They started to divulge that they were doing these things underground. A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. It's like, uh, it's like a city, city centre with a bonfire and they started coming and casting their books of magic spells in. Essentially saying, I have decided to follow Jesus, right? I have decided, burn, to follow Jesus, amulets, charms. I have decided to follow Jesus. As it burns up, what do you say? No turning back, no turning back. I was in a meeting with some of the leaders from the, from the Semenanjong and Sabah um, SIB churches. And they were showing us pictures of some of their ministry work. And one of the series of pictures included uh, a, a magic practitioner, right? A black magician who came, uh, whom they were ministering to. He had all these charms with him um, and he used them to make him physically strong. But he would constantly fall sick, right? And they were ministering and were reaching out to this guy for a long time. Eventually, he came to Christ. 
eventually came to Christ, brought out, I saw those pictures, like this plastic bag inside, got this thing sticking out, and then there was this big thing, I was sitting next to Pastor Gilbert from Main Church, some of you may know him, I was like, what's that? It looks like a leg, you know? Um, and he was like, I think it's a piece of log. I was like, oh my gosh, I wonder what all these things are. And it looks really foul, it looks really, it looks really dark, it looks really dirty, all of these types of things. Their azimat, right? Their amulets, their charms, their books, their all those things were going into the fire. No turning back. You know what's the value? Value at to the tune of fifty thousand pieces of silver. Now you were like, I don't know what's fifty thousand pieces of silver. There are two ways to calculate fifty thousand pieces of silver. If you consider a piece of silver as they meant it as a drachma, it would be about one point about. 5.5 million ringgit today. US dollars today. 5.5 US dollar, million US dollars today. Okay? If it was not a drachma but a talent, okay, it would be more. Okay? It would be more. It would be 1.5 B. Okay? But let's just be conservative okay, and say that, okay, it's probably a drachma, right? 5 million US dollars worth. Now, that's just a number to give you the idea of what Christ meant to them. You understand? We're not impressed by the amount of money in value of magic things that were thrown. We're not impressed by that. What we are impressed by is how much Jesus was worth to them that they were prepared to part with things of earthly wealth and earthly value. They can say, oh, I sell it, I take the money, give it to the poor, you know, but they didn't. Why? You sell it, then what? You're putting these things in the hands of someone else, right? And so, they burnt it all. And that's why Paul says later in one of his epistles that I consider all of my earthly acquisitions, or there it says, titles or everything, as refuse, as dung, in exchange for what? For the immeasurable immeasurable goodness, immeasurable power, immeasurable glory of knowing Christ as my Lord. And so, my friends, you will see that he writes later to the Ephesians, the battle is not on this earth. We don't fight against, uh, um, against flesh and blood. That's what it says in Ephesians 6, right? The struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is against what? Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of, of this darkness against evil and against spiritual forces in the heavens, right? Because what? Christ raised from the dead, now seated at the right hand of the heaven. He is what? Far above every ruler and every authority every power and every dominion. Can I have the worship team on stage? I'm going to ask you, how do you fight your battles? Because you have battles that are on the ground. You have battles that are happening here in this world. You have battles against financial situations, against marital situations, against relational situations. You have, you have battles against uh, uh, hurt, against betrayal. You have battles against um, uh, workplace situations, investor situations. You have work problems against challenges in your body with old age and bone problems and muscular problems. You have problems with cancer. You have problems with blood pressure. You've got all kinds of things. As if these things were surrounding you. How do you fight your battles? Because it may seem like I'm surrounded. 
but I'm surrounded by God. I'm surrounded by you, amen? How do you fight the battle? You can fight it on earth and you should. On an earthly level, you should have a response. On an earthly level, you should go see a doctor. On an earthly level, you should go look at your money situation. On an earthly level, you should go to someone and say a, and say a sorry. On an earthly level, you should go do all these things. But where is the real battle? I'm telling you, my friends, it's not here at this level. You can pull stalks of grass out of the ground if you're not dealing with the root it's just going to keep coming back up you can mow the lawn and just clip the grass and it just keeps coming back up the battle is not the grass the battle is at the root of the grass you don't want the grass to grow again you got to weed it out and the battle in your life is not happening here alone. It is happening at this level, but the root of your battle is in the heavenly places. That's why Paul says our battle is not just against flesh and blood, but it's against powers, rulers, authorities. That's how you fight your battles. That's where you fight your battles. Amen? And so I know that all of you will have some form of challenge or another. I want you to rise to your feet today because that is how you fight your battles. Amen? Today, I want every single one of you to just bring whatever that's weighing in your heart, whatever you feel surrounded by. I want you to know that you are ultimately surrounded by the powers and the armies of the living God. And God is for you. God is with you and the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit today in this place we're just pleading with the power Holy Spirit come fill this place surround our people and help us to know Lord God that every challenge everything that stands up against you is like it's like a Goliath that has to fall Lord God and Father we pray that Christ Jesus comes Lord God and takes down every power of darkness every power of the enemy that is how we fight our battles come on worship team let's just let's just raise our voices raise our voices and church I want you to just bring whatever you have brought before the Lord just lay it at his feet lay it at his feet Oh, hallelujah. Shaka This is how I fight my battles. 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 This is how I fight my Come on, church, just lift up this praise. Like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. 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 This is how, this is how. This is how I fight my battles. Just lift
lift up your hands. Lift up your hands in trust. This is how you fight your battles. Just call out upon the name of Jesus. This is how, this is how. Just call upon the name of Jesus right now, wherever you are. Just call upon Jesus. Come, come into this situation. Come into this problem. Come into this concern. Come into my place of anxiety. Come into my problem. Come into my marriage. Come into my finances. Come into my family. Come into my body. This is how I fight my battles. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, God. It may seem. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Oh, Jesus, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Oh, Jesus, I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is our this is how I fight my battles. Just lift up your hands. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Just the voices. This is how I fight my battles. 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 Right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, we call upon this name of Jesus as people of the word and as people with the walk. We are calling out to you, O Jesus Christ, Son of the living God crucified and resurrected in power seated at the right hand of the father the one who sends the holy spirit we call upon your name oh jesus to come and break through every wall of division between us and the promises of God, between us and the power and goodness of God, between us and your and your favor, Lord God. Right now, under the name and authority of Jesus Christ, I speak breakthrough for every single one of you in whatever situation you are facing right now. In Jesus' name, be healed of physical sickness. In Jesus' name, be lifted up from 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 mental disorder from anguish from emotional turmoil be lifted up right now from neurodivergence in the name of Jesus Christ be lifted in the name of Jesus Christ be healed right now in the name of Jesus Christ I speak power of God over relationship situations and the reconciliation and love of God of heaven comes into your life I speak spiritual breakthrough over financial situations I speak spiritual breakthrough over situations you may find yourself in unfamiliar territory in Jesus name God is going to cause you to be a river of living water in this new place and in this new season and he's going to bring life to flourish all around you under the power of the Holy Spirit God is going to bring life to flow wherever you go in the name of Jesus and you will water 
many dry lands and dry lands will spring back up to life because of the Holy Spirit in you so that wherever you walk with the Word of God and with the walk of Christ God goes with you and He nourishes the land He redeems the world around you Father we thank you that our hands can be lifted up our knees can be bent before you our hearts can be soft before you this is how we fight our battles so may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord turn his face to shine upon you and be gracious oh the grace of God is so precious church may the Lord be gracious with you may the Lord lift up his countenance toward you and give you peace and all of God's people say Amen. 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 All of God's people say, Amen. Turn to someone around you and say, Amen.